welcome to another episode of the InQtel podcast. I'm your host, Vishal Sandesera, and on today's show, we sit down with Paul Gamble, a data scientist at InQtel's Lab 41, and talk a little bit about how he trained an autonomous agent using reinforcement learning. For our listeners, in case you are not familiar with the concept of reinforcement learning, we've done a previous podcast on the topic, and there's also a very detailed blog about the generics of reinforcement learning. You can catch those at iqt.org inside of the news and resources section. But on with today's show. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Vishal. I'm very happy to be here. Listen, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. The reason I thought it'd be really interesting to sit down and talk to you is primarily because I overheard you talking about a recent competition that you actually uh, participated in. Tell us a little bit about what that was all about. So this was a crowd AI uh, competition. Crowd AI is a machine learning uh, competition website, something like Kaggle. And this was the uh, Doom competition associated with a workshop at an upcoming conference, the Computational Intelligence and Games Conference. Excellent. And tell us what it is that you actually did. Well, I uh, trained an agent to play Doom, the first-person shooter uh, computer game from 1993. We'll get into how that turned out. All right, excellent. Uh, and again, for our listeners, uh, we'll be talking a lot about reinforcement learning today, so if you want some background on that, please uh, stop now and go back and listen to our reinforcement learning podcast or read our blog post about it. Uh, and then continue again with us. All right, Paul. So you spent some time training an autonomous agent to play Doom. Uh, before you tell us about you know how easy or hard or complicated or impossible that was, could you tell me a little bit about why doing something like this is an important task? Absolutely. Yeah. So you know the real answer to that question is I'm just very personally interested in reinforcement learning. I love you know doing machine learning and reinforcement learning on the side. This this really is what I do for fun. Um, this is a cool competition for a number of reasons. I remember Doom as a kid growing up. It's fun to see it again, uh, in renewed relevance. Um, and uh, this is actually the first of kind of a new crop of online competitions. There are lots of online machine learning competitions. Build a classifier, build a classifier, uh, you know, detect something. But only recently have reinforcement learning competitions been emerging. Uh, and so it was really exciting to participate in one of those. And so the implications or sort of the inference here is, uh, hey, by training uh, something to play a video game, uh, are we unearthing something about just how humans perhaps learn in particular environments? Or are we unearthing something about social dynamics that we can then apply to computers? You know, this uh, competition is highly relevant for the work we do at Lab 41. Uh, if anything is worth the uh, name artificial intelligence AI at present, uh, it is the subfield of reinforcement learning. And, you know, at present, this is a very rapidly developing research field. There are a lot more unanswered questions than, I think, solid methods. But uh, eventually, these sorts of tools will be used to govern security networks, to drive vehicles, um, and, you know, essentially to make very important decisions. An understanding of them at the algorithmic level uh, is important to our customers and, and to us as researchers. So through the course of this competition, um, we, no spoiler alerts, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll tell our audience just how you did perhaps at the very end to keep them listening. But uh, you must have learned a few things uh, along the way, uh, both about yourself perhaps and also about the agent. Um, so specifically, you know, one thing that uh, comes up again and again in reinforcement learning is the need for uh, envi good environments. Um, that means, so you know, you mentioned this in uh, the blog post and previous podcasts. People should check those out. But 
critical thing in, in reinforcement learning that differentiates it, for, differentiates it from other machine learning methods is that rather than training some function, attempting to approximate a function that uh, associates labels with images or cleans up an audio signal, you're training an agent to respond to an environment with certain behaviors. And um, what that requires is a good model of the environment. This is actually what makes RL so interesting and hard is that it's very hard to model even a simple you know robotic arm where we you know can write down every joint and you know every piece moves in a simple way um, good robust physical models of that are, are challenging and, and so in this competition in particular one thing that I was excited to do was to get my hands on and really get into VizDoom which is a Python uh, layer on top of a Doom emulator that uh, that allows for you know really strong interface with the Doom environment. What are some of the characteristics of the Doom environment that are desirable for for training an autonomous agent? Is it specifically the rooms, perhaps the actions that that one would take within these rooms, or is it something totally different? Yeah, it's it's uh, what makes the Doom environment ideal is how simple it is. You've got uh, a very limited number of actions, discrete actions, move forward, move backward, turn right, turn left, uh, attack, use, um, and then combinations of those actions. Uh, as far as the levels, you know, they can be as large or as small as you want them to be. Uh, they can have, you know, various environmental hazards, enemies, weapons, power-ups, um, but you can strip all those things away and basically have your model navigating a maze. So it's very uh, flexible. Uh, simple runs very quickly. That's an important thing too here that we may get into is how important it is to be able to do lots and lots of runs in your environment. Also equally interesting, probably the most unimportant, probably one of the cooler first person shooters I've played as a child. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, like I said, I remember it as a kid and uh, remember having fun with it. And so, you know, sometimes I just would sit and watch my model training and, you know, kind of think what I would do in that situation or just admire uh, the complexity of Doom. It's 20 years old now. Absolutely. So, okay. Um, tell us about what what, is you, what what did you learn? You, you know, I talked a little earlier about uh, a couple of things that you wanted to get out across to us today. Sample inefficiency, I believe, was one of them. Tell us a little bit about uh, how that how that plays into your, your agent. The two big things that I took away from this competition were uh, the fundamental sample inefficiency of RL algorithms and the importance of clear thinking about rewards and specifically reward shaping. Just parenthetically, there's a fantastic blog post which is well known in, in you know, the data science or RL research communities. Uh, it's called um, Deep RL Doesn't Work Yet, a very pessimistic title. We can get into that in more detail, but uh, the author of that discusses these two things explicitly. I, I take a lot of my own thinking from uh, that blog post and, and, and from uh, other related uh, works. So to get into what those actually are, to say that an RL algorithm is sample inefficient means that it requires a huge amount of data, uh, a huge number of samples from the environment to learn what to do in that environment. So think about yourself playing Doom or any other game for the first time. It might take you a little while to learn the controls. You know, once you've got the movement and look keys down, you know, then maybe you learn how to interact with objects or to attack enemies. Okay, once you've got all those tools in place, then you start exploring the level. You start figuring out what it is you're supposed to do. You know, this whole process takes you minutes, uh, you know, for a reasonably simple game like Doom. And, uh, you know, you could master Doom more or less, maybe not absolute top human level, but you could become extremely competent at Doom in a matter of hours. So it takes 
even you know the best RL agents millions upon millions of playthroughs of, of episodes to uh, obtain competency and eventually they do obtain superhuman competency so it's worth noting that that however long it takes they eventually become much better at it than we are uh, but you know to, to obtain even human level competency it takes more time than a you know a human would ever play doom for um, you know in terms of just gameplay hours so this sample inefficiency is an interesting part of this uh, you know whole landscape is that our algorithms, as good as they are, take a lot longer to learn what they learn than humans. And why do you think that is? I mean, fundamentally, I, I think I learned how to play Doom. I certainly understood the, the, the reward. The, I guess if we're going to analogize reinforcement learning, uh, I knew that if I was killed, I did bad. And if I didn't get killed, I did good. Yeah, but yeah. It didn't I, take me very long to understand that. Why does it, uh, why does it take such a long time for a computer or an algorithm to, to understand that? Well, I love that analogy. I think you're really scratching at the uh, one piece of the, or one core piece of it right there. You know that getting killed in a game is bad because getting killed in life is one of the worst things that can happen to you. And, you know, we call that a prior, a, uh, you know, a prior probability distribution representing, you know, the rewards that come from the environment, something like that. Now, you know, we have very strong priors as humans. Some of them come from just our experience, walking around rooms in our daily lives, you know, interacting with objects. Some of them are even deeper than that, built into our brains from, you know, through evolutionary history. We, you know, understand the, that when we move our head, we expect our visual field to track and, and change that. And we, you know, update automatically our 3D perception of a room that we're in, uh, you know, understanding walls and ceilings and things like that, without having to, you know, A, consciously do that in the moment, or even really learn how to do it. it. It emerges naturally from the structure of our visual system and brain. Algorithms have no such, or, you know, most commonly algorithms at present do not have any such priors. And, you know, you really, so now we start to get into some algorithm-specific considerations, but let's consider uh, Q-learning, which is, you know, a whole family of algorithms, and, you know, in, in some sense, uh, an old family, um, although there are lots of modern improvements. What you're asking an agent that is using Q-learning to do, or a Q-learning agent to do, is to take a state from the environment, consider every possible action that it could take in that state, and associate a, uh, an expected reward with each action. So this is an incredibly complex, high-dimensional problem. Just you know, think for a moment about an agent in a very simple doom level. It's standing in a room. There's an exit on the other side of the room, and it's got to walk from where it is to the exit. So. The agent has to, you know, f basically associate with every frame at, at minimum just along a direct path to the exit. But because there's often some random behavior, the agent has to learn at any given point of the room, and, and even more than just any point in the room, any uh, perspective it can have from that point, what you know the move actions will eventually lead to. So you know, there's a huge number of paths, a huge number of possibilities. And you know, I think that is the heart of this sample inefficiency idea. Is we are we by kind of trying to be as generalizable as possible, starting with a bank blank slate, we're asking our agents to learn, you know, a lot more than they need to. Paul, you mentioned Q learning being one of the uh, I, I, I think common algorithms used in, in uh, reinforcement learning. Are there are there others that are, are better that overcome the, the sample inefficiency, or, or where, where where are we with uh, the state of affairs? There definitely are other algorithms. Some are better, although you know it's. 
I wouldn't necessarily be inclined to rank them hierarchically. It depends on the problem. It depends on the exact implementation. There certainly are models that outperform the standard, you know, DQN. And, and anyways, to directly answer your question, yeah, so Q-learning, the Q function I described, associates for each state action pair a value. Uh, there are lots of other algorithms that don't attempt to do that. They attempt to uh, predict the value of any given state. So rather than a state and an action having some value, just the value of being in a state. Um, there are other ones that uh, try to predict um, the, uh, the advantage of taking a certain action relative to other actions in a state. There's all kinds of, of interesting ways to approach this problem. But none of them fundamentally solve this sample inefficiency. I see. In your experience, uh, I guess, in your, in your uh, call it brief experience with, uh, with, with this competition. Or, brief or is generous. <laughs> or, or beyond. Um, you talked about generalizability. I, how, how, what is the state of generalizability of some of the, the algorithms that are used in reinforcement learning? Are, are we talking about algorithms that are really tailored to just do like one type of thing or two types of things? Or can, can you, in fact, have algorithms that are generally usable uh, when it comes to, like, hey, is, is an algorithm that does really well at Doom also good at maybe Grand Theft Auto or a totally outside of a video game in general? Great question. So the simple answer is no, we're not anywhere close to that level of generalizability yet. That certainly is a long-term goal. That actually echoes to me that, that previous comment about, you know, the relationship between reinforcement learning and artificial general intelligence. An agent that you can just plunk down into you know, a wide, let's not say unlimited, but just an extremely wide number of uh, environments and have it to, and have it behave well uh, would be pretty close to what we mean when you know, we talk about real strong AI. And we are a long way from that. To, to give a, you know, some um, more detail, you look, I won't even talk about my results, which are extremely non-generalizable, or we can get into that, but you look at some of the high-profile work that comes out, and you know, just to give one specific example that I'm familiar with from having read and worked on it recently, the uh, DeepMind Unreal Agent. So it has you know, a number of different types of uh, levels it plays on, and this is not Doom, this is just a, a related first-person shooter environment. One where it has to pick up apples, another where it has to solve a maze, another where it has to fight other agents in an arena, uh, and then another where levels are randomly generated. And it's, you know, I think it's in all of them trying to get to the exit, but the map is different and there's, you know, different obstacles. So they train agents for each map specifically. So the maze agent, as far as I know, doesn't, you know, it's the same architecture, it's the same structure of the agent, but the actual agent that's trained on the maze doesn't fight in the arena. And when you look at that randomly generated, so the other ones all blow away human performance, you know. Several times human maximum performance on those tasks. They're just too good. They're right. But when you look at the random level solver, it, I think, barely achieves human performance. So, so the model is able to learn to do this, but about as well as human. So that's an interesting um, you know, point to generalizability. These models work. These agents are capable of learning what we want them to. But often they don't appear to have the capacity to represent different strategies in different environments. Interesting. Paul, you mentioned data inefficiency as being one of the things you took away from your experience uh, in this competition. What was the other thing you had mentioned to me that you had learned? Well, the other big one uh, is reward shaping. And again, I would direct people to uh, the blog post for a more detailed and sophisticated discussion of this. And there are lots of other places that treat it as well. But the basic idea here is you're asking your agent to accomplish some task. How is that task formalized in the setting of environment? Well, you use a reward signal. So we can imagine, you know, for a doom level where there are no enemies or anything like that, you're just trying to get to the door, get to the exit. The reward is, did you get to the exit or not? 
Now, even that, you know, that phrasing of it requires more uh, quantification. So a common way of doing this would be at each time step, you get a minus one reward. Basically, your agent is punished for being remaining alive or continuing to exist in the level. And when it reaches the exit, the level ends. So you think about you know a given episode, it's wandering around the room, it gets to minus 80, boom, it presses the exit, and that's its reward, minus 80. The next episode, it solves it a little faster, minus 60. So its reward for solving it faster is a lower, or actually higher, and, uh, and that's better, and so the agent learns to behave like it behaved when it solved it faster. It sounds like the agent's being penalized for every second that it exists <laughs> right, until there, it leaves the room. There may be some, uh, some Buddhist uh, insight that we could help to uh, <laughs> improve its uh, the cost perspective. Of exactly. But, you know, that, it's funny you mention that because that highlights, uh, that suggests that there might be more uh, sophisticated ways of thinking about this. So, you know, consider a... Um, Actually, this I can speak from my own experience. There was an interesting problem I noticed. Uh, I, I saw a big improvement, a big spike, actually, an improvement in a particular agent I was training on a particular level. Now, I had seen this type of thing before when there were enemies in the stages. The agent would basically just run towards the enemies and die more quickly, and so it would get a, a higher overall score, even though it didn't find the exit or, in fact, get anywhere near it. So I removed the enemies and, and thought that would fix the problem. And, but then I saw this same, you know, this characteristic spike and improvement without it solving the levels. So I took a look at what the agent was doing, and it had discovered that by picking up the rocket launcher, a weapon in Doom, and shooting it at the wall, uh, it could die from, uh, you know, the splash damage. Which, by the way, I was impressed. I, I didn't realize Doom uh, was sophisticated enough at that time to build that kind of physics into, uh, into its engine. So, you know, first of all, kudos to the Doom developers. They were way ahead of their time. And... Uh, and, you know, on the question of reward shaping, just telling the agent, end the level as quickly as possible, which is what that simple minus one for every time step does, uh, encourages it to end the level by whatever means necessary. Right, yeah, yeah. so it seems like, uh, I mean, we, again, we as real-life human beings certainly value, uh, if we were playing Doom, we would value both surviving and getting out of the room. Right. Uh, and it seems like your agent uh, just valued not getting negatively rewarded and would rather just end the negative reward rather than continue to exist or seek out the end exit. Absolutely right. So, you know, this is an interesting question. How, how might you go about uh, shaping the reward, improving that distribution of rewards to get the agent to not kill itself? Well, I guess I'd, I'd decide on what was most important. Was it, was, was it uh, either being alive every any at any given second or was it uh finding an exit to the room and if it's both uh perhaps there's still one that's more important and instead of assigning a negative value to just surviving perhaps assign a positive value maybe even a larger positive value to finding the exit absolutely and that is in fact a very good way of doing it is just to associate a very large positive reward with ending the episode in the desired way uh, alternatively or in addition to that you could uh assign a very high death penalty so if the agent dies, you, you want it to um, you know, know that that was the wrong thing to do, so it gets a huge negative right. score for that episode. Did I just machine? Did I just reinforcement learn? Right you now? did. You did indeed, yeah. So I just reinforcement learned. Um, yeah, excellent. This is uh, theory and practice here on Gab 41. Classic. <laughs> Paul, you mentioned reward shaping uh, as being an important thing you learned about during the course of the competition. Uh, and you've also told us a lot about how the environment uh, that an, an agent is, is within shapes these rewards or offers rewards uh, for multiple actions or any actions that are taken. Are there other sources of rewards, uh, perhaps more intrinsic to the model itself, that we should be aware of? 
Yeah, that was something that I, I got some firsthand experience with. So use the word intrinsic, which is exactly right. Rewards traditionally come from the environment. You know, the reward signal comes directly from the environment. It can also be computed from, you know, various details, features of the state. Um, but you could also have purely intrinsic rewards, rewards that the agent is generating for itself. And a good example of that is pixel control. This is a recent innovation from DeepMind. Uh, the idea is that you want your agent to learn to associate uh, changes in its uh, input stream, in this case the pixels from the level, with actions. So, uh, you know, again, turning left or right, uh, moving forward or back, you want it to be able to predict what effect is that going to have on what it's seeing on its state. Uh, and so the idea is very simple that you, you give the agent a reward signal proportional to changes in that visual scene. So just, you know, really the change from scene to scene of the pixels in the scene. Uh, this idea is called pixel control. And uh, it has been shown to lead to much, much faster training because the agent first learns to control itself, and then it's better able to uh, achieve the true reward of the environment. Paul Gamble, thank you so much for your time today. We've been talking to you about your experiences with a, a recent competition in which you coded a reinforcement learning agent to play Doom. Uh, to our listeners, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about reinforcement learning, again, we advise you to check out our earlier podcast and also our blog post available at iqt.org. Paul, thank you for being here today. It was a pleasure, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, keep learning. Absolutely. We'll catch you all next time. Mm -hmm.